Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Wednesday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Hey, I mentioned on Monday's podcast at the very beginning that my very good friend, longtime friend, Reverend Judith Lyons and I will be hosting a Lenten series beginning on February 26th. We will have six video presentations, followed by four live 90-minute Zoom discussions with Jude and I, uh, where we can all get together and see each other and talk with each other and get up to date and move along, maybe ending this, uh, this horrible period of time that we've been through, isolated with COVID. We can at least engage in that way. So if you haven't received an email from me, or maybe you're not on my email list, uh, go to LogosBibleStudy.com, and there'll be a place there where you can read about the uh, the series and also sign up for it. I would love to see you. I know there are a whole lot of you out there listening, and I haven't met a lot of you. So that'd be a good time that we can actually look at each other face-to-face and uh, and have a good time with, with Scripture. So anyhow, back we go to our lesson and we put right in, remember the fig tree withered on Monday, and now we read in Matthew 21 at verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Well, you could expect that. After Jesus came in the day before, cursed the fig tree, wrecked the marketplace, threw people out, beat them up, and then left town, now he has the chutzpah to come back. So the religious leaders send a delegation down to confront him. And they do. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, no, I'll ask the questions. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. They scratched their heads. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves. Now remember, there's a big crowd on the southern steps, and they're watching this engagement. They know what Jesus did yesterday, and now he's being confronted by the police, if you will. So they're watching. He discussed it. We say from heaven. He'll say, why don't you believe him? If we say from men, we're afraid of all these people. They, they think it's John's the prophet. So they answered, we don't know. And Jesus said, didn't think so. So neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And he gets right back with the crowd. Now picture the scene on the southern steps. It's a big gathering area. That's where all the teaching went on. It's where you enter the temple area from and where you exit from. So there's a lot of people crowded around. They're all watching the religious authorities who have confronted Jesus, and he has just put them down. I bet they laughed. Ha <laughs> ha, he got them. And then Jesus said to the crowd, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. No, I won't do it, he answered. But later he did. He went to work in the vineyard. Then the father went to the other son. 
said the same thing. Oh, yes, sir, I'll go. But the boy never went. Now, which of the two did what the father wanted? And the crowd, somebody in the crowd piped up and said, the first one. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. And he points to the religious leaders, not the crowd, the religious leaders. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Look, gang, he gestures to the crowd. I got another parable for you. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When harvest time came, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants, however, seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. And then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They'll respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what do you think he will do to those tenants? And Jesus gestures again to the religious leaders. And the crowd, someone in the crowd piped up and said, Ah, he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end. And he'll rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest. And the crowd cheered. Oh, that was a great answer. They knew Jesus was talking about the religious leaders. And then Jesus said to them, the religious leaders, not the crowd, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone, he points to himself, will be broken to pieces, and he on whom it falls, points to the religious leaders, will be crushed. Well, when the religious leaders heard this. They knew he was talking about them. Well, duh, it's obvious. They were afraid of the crowd because the people were cheering him on. They thought he was a prophet. And then Jesus said, I got another one. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. They went off, one to the field, one to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army 
and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. All the while, he's pointing to the religious leaders. Then he said to his servants, the people, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets, gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed that one man was not wearing wedding clothes. Randy asked, how, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Well, the man was speechless. And then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where he'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Who's the man not wearing the wedding clothes? The crowds, they're the people, they're the ones now invited to the banquet. But someone came in to check it out. Someone came in to spy. And I'll bet Jesus looked over at the religious leaders and looked at one of them in particular. So what are those religious leaders going to do? He has thoroughly humiliated them in front of everybody. The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his speech. They can't beat him up. They can't arrest him. The crowds would turn on them. But they can discredit him in the eyes of the crowd. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now that's an odd couple in bed together, the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees, the people of the synagogue, and the Herodians, those who supported the Roman government. They came to him again, that delegation from the religious leaders. And one of the men, the one I think that Jesus looked at in the parable of the wedding bank, the one without the wedding clothes, a really bright guy, shrewd, smart. And that man said, uh, uh, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and you teach the way of the Lord in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Obviously, the way you've treated us, we're important people here. We're, we're the leaders here. But no, you, you have no respect for any of us. So tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay taxes to the Roman military occupation or not? Now that is a really good question, because if Jesus said, yes, pay your taxes to Rome, he'll be discredited in the eyes of the people as the king, the liberator. If he says, no, don't pay your taxes, the Romans will arrest him in a heartbeat. Problem solved. So Jesus, knowing this, 
Now, you hypocrites, you, you try to trap me. <laughs> good, good try. Yeah, anybody, you, any of you guys have a coin? The religious leaders? The man who asked the question flipped a coin to Jesus, who caught it in midair, showed it to the crowd. It was a denarius. And he said to the religious leaders, whose picture is on this coin? Caesar's, they replied. He said, flipping the coin back again after displaying it to the crowd, flipping it back to the man who tossed it to him and said, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed and they slunk away and the crowd cheered. You see what just happened here? All these pilgrims who came to Jerusalem for Passover in AD 32 from all over the Roman Empire, when they arrived, they had Roman money in their pockets. That was the coinage of the day all throughout the Roman Empire. You bought things with Roman money, but you couldn't take Roman money into the temple precincts because it had Caesar's picture on it and it would desecrate the temple. You shall not make any images of God, nor shall you have any idols. So you couldn't take your money, you couldn't use your money at the temple area. You couldn't use that Roman money to buy your Passover lamb. You had to exchange your Roman money for temple shekels. Now what happens to the exchange rate when demand increases 10 times overnight? Well, the exchange rate skyrockets. Supply and demand. And then you use the temple shekels to buy your Passover lamb. And what happens to the price of lambs when demand increases 10 times overnight? The price goes up. That's why Jesus went to the merchants wrecked the place, threw them out, and called them a den of thieves. Look what you did. You, these people are paying exorbitant exchange rates and exorbitant prices for a Passover lamb. And why? Because you can do it. That was the whole reason Jesus wrecked the temple area when he came into town. Oh, and by the way, when he showed the crowd the coin, whose picture is on it? Caesar. And who tossed him the coin? One of the religious leaders. They're walking around the temple area with Roman money in their pockets. They didn't exchange their money for temple shekels. Passover will be over in a, in a, in a week. <laughs> Back to normal. No, they didn't do it. So it's kind of like Congress passing laws and exempting themselves. They tried to discredit Jesus with this question. He turned the tables and discredited them in the eyes of the crowd. That was so slick. Now, that same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, which is why they're sad, you see, <laughs> They came to him with a question. Sadducees, 
a religious sect uh, in Judaism, primarily those involved with temple operations and people who benefited from temple operations. And uh, they were the, the well-to-do people. And they were very strict. They held only the word of God is the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, the Pentateuch. That's where you found truth. The other books, well, they're supplementary. They're secondary, if you will. But they would not base a doctrine on, say, a prophet Jonah. No, it would have to be from the books of Moses. So they say there is no resurrection, because if you read Genesis through Deuteronomy, you'll be hard-pressed to find anything about resurrection. It's just not there. Well, you might have a faint hint or a shadow of it, but it's, it's, it's not there. Obviously, it doesn't stick out. So they came to him, and they said, Teacher, Moses told us in the Torah that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. It's called a Leverite marriage. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to that fellow, and the second and third, right on down to the seventh. So she had married all the brothers, and they all died. <laughs> I don't think I'd get anywhere near her. <laughs> but finally she died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since she had married all of them. Whose wife will she be? Now you think, well, that's a pretty extreme example. But you take a principle, a theological principle, and then you, 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 you probe it as deeply as you can. You know, not being silly, but to see if the logic holds up, to see if indeed the truth holds up under extreme conditions. Well, this is what they're doing. They're testing that law. Are there any examples of this happening? Yes, as a matter of fact, in the deuterocanonical book of Tobit, Tobit, it's a wonderful story. If you haven't read the book of Tobit, by all means, do. Tobias, Tobit's son, goes off on a journey uh, and to get a, an ointment uh, for his father who has gone blind and to retrieve money that's been left behind uh, in Medea. But, uh, but he meets a girl, and oh, he falls in love with her, and you, you just know he's going to marry her. And it, it, it's in the cards. But she's been married seven times before. And every one of those husbands died on the wedding night. So <laughs> Tobias learns of it, but he's going through with it. And uh, meanwhile, on the wedding night, he and his bride get down on their knees and they pray. And, and the archangel Michael has been watching over them. And they pray and... Uh, out in the backyard, her father's digging an eighth grave. <laughs> what a great story. Anyhow, it, it, it's a wonderful story, but he, they're testing the law, right? So Jesus replied, you're in error 
because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. The paradigm will be entirely different. What will it be like when we're there in the presence of God, when we're in the presence of the beatific vision, when we see Christ himself? It won't be like here. Oh, we'll be sentient, conscious beings. I like how Dante portrays life in heaven in the Paradiso, book three of his Divine Comedy. He, he pictures spheres of heaven, each sphere getting closer to God. And all the souls who are there are points of light. Some are brighter than others. Some are bigger than others. But the idea of being light, um, that's a beautiful image uh, in Dante. So it won't be like here. We won't be walking around and having husbands, wives, children, and all. We'll all know each other. We'll all be intimately connected. Think of how you're connected today with your husband or wife. And then shift the paradigm to being two points of light that merge together into one. I think that's a lovely image, and it's what Jesus is getting at right here. So, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which one? Jesus said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, the Shema. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ehad. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19, verse 18. Both from the Torah, you note, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's good. That's good. The law swings on those two hinges. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked, Ask them. So, you've been asking me questions. Let me ask you one. What do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they replied, the son of David. And he said to them, well, how is it then that David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord? 
For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The Messiah will be indeed the son of David, but the Messiah will also be the son of God, higher than David. No one dared ask him anything else. Well, the crowds are just amazed and they're cheering him on and the religious leaders have been humiliated and Jesus will go after them like a pit bull after raw meat. We'll see on Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Thank you, folks. Love being here with you, and I'll be back at the end of the week. Bye-bye now.